Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. Welcome back to the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, failed host. I just realized I had the microphone set in my AirPods. We only got four minutes in, but we had to do a hard reset. Anyways, we're back. Got a special guest today, Adam, which you do your intro here in a second, who I've known for four or five years. GTM server-side nerding out, ton of experience, expertise that I'm excited for you to share. Uh, if it's not obvious to everyone listening, I'm definitely rushing the intro since we just did this. And I was getting ready to get into some of the nuggets for today. But Adam, thanks for jumping on. Give everyone a quick intro. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into the topics. Well, good. Thanks, Brad, for having me. Avid podcast listener and very much appreciate the opportunity to be here. My name's Adam. I'm the director and founder of Elephant Room. We're an e-commerce performance agency based in Australia. If you couldn't tell by my accent, the... <laughs> Joke doesn't run well the second time around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the four sort of major service areas of the agency is across acquisition, engagement, retention, measurement. We've been doing it for nine years. Uh, there's a team of 40 of us headquartered in Sydney, but we have a few staff members across Australia. And yeah, Elevar's been a very big part of our business, a very big part of our paid media team. It's been honestly a massive building block for getting our processes right and getting clients onboarded. And yeah, no, we're very happy to be here and very proud sort of endorsers and adopters of the program or the, or the app, sorry. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm excited for you to share all, all the knowledge that you and the team have. We were joking and again, replaying this joke, but so you have an app as well. So you've come to the dark side and the software side of addition services, which is gifting, which we're going to get into just some of your insights and experience. So yeah, give a little plug to, uh, to GiftNote as obviously we're getting into uh, Q4 and Black Friday and that's uh, on top of everyone's mind. Yeah, for sure. So copying maybe a, a chapter from your playbook, um, going from service and consulting to tech vendor, but we basically had a, at a moment of time in COVID, we uh, both my other director, Matt, and my head of partnerships and success had their firstborns, baby boys over Black Friday, which was chaos. And they basically complained that they were getting a lot of gifts sent to them. We spoke about the problem and we sort of agreed that it, it seemed wrong, that they didn't know who the sender was. Yeah. And they were just like, it was a very WTF moment. And it's, it's a bit awkward to actually ask in a shared WhatsApp group with like family and friends, like, thanks for the gift, but who sent it? And I think a lot of people have done that. I've done it before. For one of my birthdays, I got sent a bottle of whiskey. No idea. I had to send it to a WhatsApp group of like 17 close friends and saying, hey, no idea, but thank you. Really, really kind. So what we decided was and what we built was a, an opportunity for, I guess, brands to add a checkout. We were the first gifting checkout extension and also a liquid widget for customers to add recipient information, which then gets captured at checkout. The brand fulfills the order. We monitor the tracking number, then send the gift message payload upon delivery. But as of like recent times, we change the delivery to send instantly as well and also send in the future. We do the same thing for gift vouchers as well. Yeah. So before we get into the custom conversion tracking and just a new way of calculating customer acquisition costs, let's just riff on gifting a little bit since this is, again, people listening to this episode, there'll be high times in Q4 planning. What have you seen maybe even pre-gift no, just in your experience of gifting and impacts on AOV, etc., returns? Yeah. Yeah. What have you seen that others listening might be able to learn from and put into their Q4 plan? I think the 
problem statement for a lot of brands is that they've got a portion of their revenue that's coming from gifting that it's unknown to them. And they've got a stream of gifting, giftable revenue that, that's unknown to them. Why that's nice is that it, it, it gives brands insights to merchandise and understand their product range of what's gifted, what's popular gifted, first product, first color, certain things like that. And it's actually a really nice opportunity on the creative side and the marketing side and key seasons, specifically BFCM. And we have Boxing Day here or Christmas sales here in Australia, but obviously globally it's a thing. And those are really key gifting moments. So when you start thinking about that and then you then divide it in two, so we've got key gifting moments, but then you've also got like BAU gifting. So birthdays, anniversaries, whatever, weddings, and then you've got I'm going to buy all my gifts in the key moments like your Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, Father's Day, and then obviously Christmas. So what we've known, and I think everyone knows that because the deals are so good in November and the shipping delays that come in Christmas, you may not experience it too much in the States, but we have a bit of a problem with shipping delays here. In Australia, it's probably the worst thing that you're like obsessively watching tracking and then you miss the gift doesn't (laughs) arrive and it's terrible. So we sort of entertain on both sides of the coin and then give brands that opportunity to monetize really well over that period, report on the giftable revenue and then start understanding what the differences in AOVs are for gifted revenue. Usually it's higher. People spend more on others than themselves. Mm -hmm. We averaged over like five or 10,000 gifts sent last November that we monitored on our system, those AOVs were around 18% greater than the base AOV after removing the gifted ones, which is quite nice. And then what those gifts meant is that it brought in new customers. So those recipients that were gifted something in November actually reconverted to become first-time customers three to four months later, which is awesome. Yeah. Because we're tracking the first-party data, we can show like the full life cycle of that recipient conversion. Yeah. So the, just to backtrack for a minute, and the way it works is if someone is using GiftNode, they if they're going through checkout, if I'm buying something as a gift, I check like this is going to be a gift and enter my name and then choose to have the gift note sent before or after. Exactly. Independent of the actual product being shipped, correct? Exactly. So they can send it instantly. So vouchers are really good sometimes to send um, instantly. Yeah. Also on a date. So if they know the person's birthday, they can just send it on the date because maybe that's how they want to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That also comes through as an email and an SMS as well. So where it's quite sticky. And then they can also then do it based on delivery notification, which is also quite nice. Where I was going with that was, do you still need to ask that type of question in a post-purchase survey? Which you don't need to, since it's happening pre-checkout. So you already know it's a gift. You don't have to infer. Exactly. Yeah, the insight was that we need to make it better for the customer to elect that it's a gift sooner in the piece. So we got more adoption when we bring it further up in the funnel. But yeah, we're finding that customers aren't hesitating to say that it's a gift at the message in. So it's a 50-50 argument that maybe you don't want to crowd the checkout with the gift messaging. But if it's a gift, the intent is so much higher as well. So maybe it's okay to add that extra field yeah. in checkout. But then it gets more interesting. Like we might be looking at video gift messages and it's you can't really do that in checkout because it's just a weird thing to do. So yeah. <laughs> we're thinking about other ways of like capturing that message. Yeah. So one eight hundred flowers here in the States that immediately comes to mind of they have pretty much built the business on the back of gifting. Yeah, every every male in the United States knows that they need to give flowers <laughs> certain certain holidays. So that's maybe an obvious one. What would be an example of a not obvious brand that turned themselves into or or marketed themselves more of a gifting product that may not be a like a natural gift where 
I don't know, like a t-shirt or something. So do you have any examples of brands that have followed that playbook for the reason of like the AOV increases, the returning customer increases or reducing CAC, et cetera? Yeah, there's there's a few. So one of our early adopters is like, well, this is a pure gifting brand, like a donut brand, uh, donut business. They'll send donuts to you and the donuts are exceptionally good. And that, it's like similar to flowers. It's very like 90% of all orders are gifts. Yeah. Those are clear-cut winners. Like You know that makes sense, and those brands are going to do well in parts of the year, and they'll kind of chill out in other parts of the year. Yeah. But then for a BAU brand, for example, we have a brand called Bedthreads. Uh, they sell bed linen or French flax linen bed sheets, also a power user for LFR. Yeah, early Google Ads server side tracking uh, beta tester. Yeah, yeah, we were. I think we were actually pushing John and the team to get the Google Ads server side conversion going. But they um, bed sheets was a nice gift for people moving into homes, first home buyers, um, weddings as well, birthdays, and it, they've got a lot of colors. It's very stylistic. It's very aesthetic, and it's a very nice brand to gift. And then they're turning over lovely, lovely numbers, but they never could pinpoint what percentage of the revenue came from a gift and. Yeah, like the, the app helps sort of secure that. And then on the other side, last minute shoppers, which is a huge category, probably a lot of disorganized partners, myself included. Same. Trying to freak out, trying to say, shit, how do I, what, what do I do? And a voucher is a really nice and semi thoughtful considered gift, but it has to be, I guess. So vouchers capturing that on the tail end as well. So, you know, if you're thinking about specifically here, the 20th of December, no orders are going to get delivered to anyone in the tail end for Boxing Day or, or Christmas Eve yeah. or whatever it is. So vouchers are lovely. You get the gift straight away and then it's SMS. Um, it's branded. It looks quite nice. We have a Clavio integration and it all kind of looks really packaged. So yeah, those are the two sort of coins of the, the gifting spectrum for us. Did bed threads, have they intentionally changed creative around or ahead of holidays and just led with gift, gift, gift or gift us or there's this holiday turn instead of more like their standard creative that might be just more direct to consumer? Yeah, I'd say like they're running ads in all shapes and forms, but their bundle is a really solid gifting option. So the bundling of getting a bed sheet and a duvet cover and the whole thing together. So it's so easy to add in gift messaging into that Black Friday sort of Cyber Monday narrative. And if it's just an extra reason for someone to click and engage and buy, there's no harm in doing it. And if you actually have evidence and hard numbers to say, well, we know 20, 30% of the revenue is a gift, then that's a very significant chunk. Like that's a large, large user base. And you're communicating to someone differently. You're not necessarily selling the product proposition immediately. They've already fallen in love with the product. They're probably an existing customer. They want to share the love. And I think you can use creative really effectively to demonstrate that and saying, hey, we'll also send you the message. We'll send the message for you. Yeah. What would you tell a brand that wants to maybe push on gifting this year? What would your recommendation be? Outside of getting the messaging down, would you add gifting to the main navigation? Would you add what are like three or four recommendations or tips they have? I'd say firstly, install the app. <laughs> That's the first one. Um, you <laughs> yeah. only pay for gift notes sent, so there's no usage charges. So even if we're just sitting idle, like there's no cost of the business. So that's like the baseline. I think what we found is a few key real estate points. So firstly, on the PDP, it's always nice if you can add it in an accordion. So a lot of brands use like a, an emoji to say purchasing as a gift, question mark. And then there's a small modal that explains the process because it is a bit nuanced and it is new for merchants or even customers to do it. Yeah. A lot of brands use blogs as like holiday gift guides and then kind of idea help customers ideate and validate the gift. So like this is what we sold last year, um, last minute shopper, buy a voucher, just to help set that narrative. And then if you've got 
kits, if you're kitting and merchandising for gifting, just in the banner, like in your top nav, in your parent nav, don't nest it in just saying 2023 gifts or gift guides and then actually have yeah. like the products or the kits or the bundles available. A lot of brands do gift with purchase as well. So you can kind of bake that in if you get a free tote or some sort of other sort of supporting act. The app doesn't necessarily support that, but I think it's all in the spirit of gifting. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's a high intent shopping period. And if you know that people spend more on others, then just can be capitalized. That's that's really the moment. My mind immediately goes to December 10th, 15th, when guys like you and I are like, oh shit, I haven't bought any presents yet. And you know that whatever you buy, the shipping, it's not going to get there on time. So that's almost like the no-brainer of, I mean, at that point, like, I just need to tick the box. Exactly. Hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this episode. <laughs> I just need to tick the box and just buy something that's good. So if I'm comparing it to, if I know I can buy it, but then like have the message or whatever hit them, and it just, I'm kind of like, I'm off. I don't need to explain why I laid it to the last minute to buy something and why the present doesn't get there until January 5th. I think just on that, like I really dislike going to the shopping centers and the malls that time of year. It's chaotic. It's yeah. just, it, the lines, it's absurd. Like the whole process is. And I think that's one part of it. But I also think if you're to try emulate that experience, especially if you're living remote. So if you have partners or family that aren't living near you and you want to send a gift, it's a lovely way. It's a very beautiful gesture just to get it done without the logistics side of it. And we want to eliminate the logistics problems and concerns. So the experience, the brand offers a gifting experience that's seamless. And if we can do that, then we see it as a revenue channel. That's right. It's like it's a growth channel rather than just like an experience that we're building. Yeah. I love Q4. The CRO brain side of me, it's just like, I'm always just... But are you really deploying CRO initiatives in Q4? I'm too scared, man. I'm like, past October, I'm just like, it's the ship sailed. We just got to send it. It might make its way into one of our emails this year. But yeah, it's always, it's always the drum I've always been beating, right or wrong is, yeah, test. Like I've always been testing Q4, like even Black Friday of just validating that I don't know, whatever new initiative that we're trying, but that's not necessarily the right or wrong way, but I've always uh, I've always tested. But unfortunately I don't do too much too much of that today. So Yeah. Well I guess the whole thing about these Q4 periods is it's a land grab moment, right? It's sort of like there's a lightning storm outside. It doesn't come around so often. And a lot of the brands, they might make 20, 30% of their revenue over a one month, two month period, which is which is really big. And I think getting signal, tracking, getting everything in order, if you don't do it from the get-go, you've lost that window and it's never going to come back. Or it might come around next year. But I think what a lot of brands forget about is there's a very large halo effect from doing really good data capture and really nice setup in your busy period. So when it's a bit quiet in January and February, at least you've got Signal, you're happy, you've given the ad networks and all of your data tools the most amount of information to actually do proper retros and proper analysis and proper forecasting planning. I think we're like, you know, we're trying to do forecasts and planning now for a lot of brands for the coming next three months, next quarter. And we're looking back on last year's data and we're, we're asking questions. Was the signal loss? Was the iOS? Like we're comparing Shopify data with GA data. And yeah. there's a 20, 15% disparity. And then you're having conversations around, well, the data's not clean. My forecast is wrong. And then you need to pinch yourself and be like, we shouldn't be having this conversation. Like what we know now and the access to technology that we have, like, I shouldn't be limited or dampened by signal loss, as an example. Yeah, yeah. Next year, we'll just be plugging in the questions to the AI tool that uh, can go through. <laughs> yeah, like that's definitely going to happen, which will be exciting. But I also feel the whole AI world, you know, we're only drinking the water from the well, but we're not building the well. Like we're only picking fruits from the tree right now, but we know nothing about anything else that's happening. 
All right, let's let's shift gears a little bit to custom conversion tracking or just uh, new customer acquisition costs. You know, new ways to potentially look at it, report on it. What do you uh, What do you got? Yeah, so I think you know it's a loaded topic because every agency, every brand, every service provider is talking about in-platform ROAS being overinflated, grading their own homework. iOS 17 is going to cure link decoration. My UTM parameters are going to get hit. You know, like it's all going to get. It's a bit murky now, but it's just going to get a little bit more challenging. And you know how it goes. Like it's going to be an annoying conversation for a year, and then you know now no one cares about the last iOS version. It just forms part of the fold. And I think the narrative that's happening now is like a lot of chat about blended MER reporting. So how can we find a metric that works agnostic on the platform that works for the business and actually can help prove value? So that's one big part. Can you define blended MER just for those that may not know exactly what that is? Yeah, so it's a marketing efficiency ratio, which basically is just looking at the sensitivity between your aggregate revenue and your aggregate media spend. Obviously, it's an aggregate, so it's a double-edged sword. So some brands may want to include or exclude agency fees, platform fees, and that may be gifting or how much like they're paying to influencers. But ultimately, it's a generalized ratio that you can plot and forecast over time. And then it helps adopt more of an incremental way of thinking rather than, yeah. hey, Google is saying we made a million dollars, but yeah. half of that came from branded and it's just, it just gets a bit weird. Yeah. Okay. Sorry to cut you off. Just want to make sure that. No, no, no. The definition is important. We also look at it as like a cost of sale as a percentage. So it, that's just essentially adopting more of a contribution margin philosophy to understanding performance because. If you're not understanding, you know, if we make $100, what component of that is tax shipping, your CapEx and your OpEx as well? Like it's impossible to make any success. But why that's all important is the new metrics that are coming in is sort of MER, cost of sale, moving to LTV. LTV isn't necessarily a new metric, but computing it, um, doing proper cohort analysis is becoming more relevant. Shopify has obviously baked it in natively into the platform now. Shopify's one is a little bit tricky because sometimes it bakes in marketplace revenue and other revenue channels. So like other revenue streams that you need to filter out. And sometimes you need to then think about how do I take that data out? Maybe look at the GA4 side of things to actually do that proper cohorting and LTV analysis. Yeah. But the other one is your CAC, my customer acquisition cost. So all three of these metrics essentially become a North Star for success. But the philosophy, again, now is, or at least on our side, is, okay, you've got a CAC, which you can figure out comfortably. But more importantly, we should figure out what our new customer acquisition cost is. So if we've got an accurate representation of LTV, that helps justify media's existence in a way. It helps support the success of GeoLift or holdout studies or any sort of measurement studies to see how that NCAC is changing. Yeah. But to calculate the NCAC, depending on the sophistication of the brand, can be challenging. We're right now using coefficients to do it, to saying, well, we know all these customers, we know what came in from CRM from existing customers, we know how much revenue came in from new customers. We know that 90% of my media budget is top of funnel excluding existing customers. So we can kind of build a bit of a coefficient to figure out what that NCAC is. And that's the narrative that we're having now with our brands. Maybe for someone that some of the just terminology is new, how can someone just start following like the process that you're taking? And yeah, I'll just leave it very open-ended. So Yeah, the process is changing every day. But I think the first thing is it's important. Shopify is going to be, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that everyone's on some sort of vendor similar to Shopify where it's e-commerce or Magento or whatever. You can export this data out. 
Shopify does a wonderful job of explaining what's a new versus repeat customer. Historically, like if you worked in Magento back in the day to do that sort of stuff, would be you know that's a pull. Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah, it's a massive. You would need to load it into like a SQL database. It's a whole process. But now we've got accessibility to data. I really don't want to use the word democratize, but it is available. But essentially, we want to start by exporting everything out by the month. Definitely not by the day, or at least do it by the week. Or going down to the daily level. One is too many rows. Firstly, it's not going to give you, and it's just more headache. But you can maybe go to the day on key sale moments, but separate conversation. And then start plotting your spend, your aggregate spend by day. So yeah, again, if you're using a supermetrics or even just get it from the console, bring everything out. I think it's important as well when you're looking at Shopify total sales, you need to understand the definition of that metric because that's actually net returns. So if you do a refund, yeah. and again, we're trying to qualify the efficacy of media here and the business. So we need to sort of add in and also remove refunds. It's really important. It's unfair to scrutinize media if you had a faulty product, mm-hmm. as an example. So that's a radical example. But brands that had like a huge refund event, and a lot of brands in Australia do, if you're with Loop, for example, you might do all your refunds on a Monday. So it's really lumpy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we want to remove and add back refunds to see, okay, well, what is my MER cost of sale with or without? So we actually get an indication for the business success and then also the media success. But then again, like you've got your spend, you've got your revenue, you've got your new customers. You sort of got, you've kind of got your framework to then plot this over time and see if there's any changes or directional things that are happening that need consideration or you need to work on. And then building that coefficient, that's probably the hardest part. We've got some stuff that we do with LFR and also ourselves with custom conversion tracking. Mm-hmm. So we, um, we map custom conversion events to a new or repeat customer by each ad platform. So again, you know, there's always going to be thresholding, but we try get an indication of what campaigns are doing it. We then obviously have strong exclusion rules in Meta. We have NCA campaigns. But if you spent $100,000, you should know what percentage of that budget was really targeted for new customers versus what it brought in from repeats. And it should always be leaning towards new for majority of the brands. Once you have that coefficient, you've got the framework to start figuring out what that NCAC is. Yeah, And then you can use free tools like Klaviyo or Lifetimely or whatever to get an LTV or Retention X. There's heaps of tools out there. And you've got a formula. You've got your business. You've essentially got your business model in two metrics, ideally. And the, the so what is, so once you have those metrics, then it's, okay, you know what campaigns to start riding as you're, it's like that's the horse you're going to ride and start putting more budget into it, more creative, etc. Yeah, I mean, it, it fuels everything. Firstly, it fuels that like should we be reliant on using media for the business like if you ask the question like where are we getting new customers from but it feels you know if we lost money acquiring someone in media which a lot of brands do it's not a bad thing to lose money in the first acquisition but we know that our products are so crash hot it's so sexy that our first AAV is $100 but the lifetime value is 500 for simple numbers and our NCAC is maybe $120 okay on paper yeah we lost initially but we know that the second purchase is two months three months after the first we start having there's a bit of a structure here and then that kind of goes into your retention marketing your loyalty programs your win back campaigns how you do creative for that second purchase yeah there's a whole set of opportunity that comes up that actually draws out what the success is meant to look like yeah and that's really where our focus has been right now there's so many parallels between digital marketing for e-commerce and saas marketing 
And you just outlined one because some of the common metrics in SaaS marketing is, okay, what's your CAC or CAC payback period? So do you want to spend three months of potential MRR to acquire a customer? If you're VC backed, can you spend 12 months or 24 months? In 2021, it was, you know, do you want to spend two to three years to acquire a customer because you know, on average, that you're going to make that back in year two, three, four, five. And, you know, some companies are making that, you know, set three to five years, six year plus bet to out basically go in the red for a long time with the confidence like you're going to get that back. It's a big promise. Yeah. Payback period is a glorious metric and it helps, again, justify all the hard work that you're putting in. But I also think the problem, I suppose, with a lot of these e-commerce brands, or at least here in Australia that we've experienced, that some of them had some insane growth during COVID. They've only really started activating in the last three, four years. And we don't have a decade worth of data. We don't have a precedence. We're still we're writing the book while we're growing. Yeah. So I think it's sometimes it's hard. You, you need to make some of these outlandish assumptions, but that you have to start somewhere. Like a skincare brand that just blew up over COVID, for example. You know, they're only two years old. They blew up. They've made in revenue what some brands would have made in the last five years and two years. But then you're also thinking about, well, what's your churn? Like when do people stop buying from you? And it's hard to calculate that because you don't know. What we like to do is we come up with these like optimistic, pessimistic scenarios. You need to draw a line somewhere. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna double tap on the churn since that's another SaaS metric. And I love talking about it in e-com. I not as much in this podcast, but just talking to other other customers, especially subscriptions. So subscription as a subscription brand, you're looking at churn every day. Do you have any just tips, just off the cuff, any tips that you've seen successful in just helping reduce churn, whether it's for a subscription brand or a brand that you know is a multi like running sneakers or something that you know there's a recurring order built in. Yeah, like I think churn is inevitable for some brands. Firstly, I don't think it's a number that we should be afraid of. Like if you're selling pregnancy garments or you're in the baby space, you're going to have a high degree of churn. Yeah. Your only offset against that is your customers having a second child, maybe. And that you can obviously can't control that. Yeah. Unless you're selling medicine, which would be another conversation. But I think churn is important to recognize that it's part of your brand and the industry and the category that you're in. And that's the, those areas that you just can't navigate. But on the other side of actually getting your hands deep and finding solutions to mitigate it, I'd say firstly, understanding what your cliff is or where your cliffs exist. Yeah. So as smaller brand, you can do aggregate churn quite easily. Subscription also has like you can do this aggregate churn quite nicely. Sometimes it gets more sophisticated for brands that sell, let's say, fashion for men and women or just two different types of categories. So your your male fashion churn will be different to maybe the female fashion churn if they're buying dresses versus shorts, as an example, for guys. That's a barrier that you need to figure out because if you look at it as the aggregate, you might be making wrong decisions. So that's the strategic framework. You understand what your cliff is. You can again use tools and some ex- specific data experts to figure it out. But then, I mean, the classic ones are obviously, you know, do a sale, but that's not great. We don't really love that language anymore because margins are getting tighter. Everything's getting more expensive. I'd say a lot of brands are investing in membership or loyalty programs now. Yeah. They also need to, they need to understand how the products are evolving as well, giving customers options and controlling if they have a subscription, if they can skip or mitigating the reasons to churn. In the end, like tactically, it's going to come down to timing the right message, using SMS effectively, Yeah, you know, using a concierge style service to say, hey, is there anything that we can help you with? If you know what inevitable cliff is looking like, you have numbers on how many, you know, are they visiting the site less? Are they opening emails less frequently if they've been with us 
for a period of time. If you've got new releases, do you prioritize them? Do you do more of like an embargo arbitrage system where you're giving priority access to your more mature, sophisticated customers? Try to do everything you can before offering a discount because once you offer that discount, you know, it's a very, very like, it's not going to do well for anyone in the long run. I agree. I'm, I'm very bullish on the concierge style SMS. I'll give a recent experience example I had and I'll try to talk through a hypothetical clothing or apparel experience. So a couple of weeks ago, I got a, a whole body MRI. So just like, you know, just a hey, double check just to make sure everything's good. We're getting older. You're doing the right thing. That's healthy. That's yeah. fine. You should be proud of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of our uh, company core values is a healthy life. And uh, I have a wife that works at a hospital. So it's my mom used to be a nurse. So there's a lot of that that's in like, okay, let me just make sure. I'm, and I just turned 40 recently. So it's like, all right, I, I need to make sure like everything's good. Is the stock good is the question. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Because it looks good, but is it good underneath? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so I did the whole body MRI and... It was within an hour. Like I sat down, I got back to my apartment. I was in New York City doing it at the time, and I got a text message, and it was like, "Hey, how was the cleanliness? How was the staff? Like, how was the product experience?" That's basically what it was. Like, how was the product experience? It wasn't go leave us a review, go do this, do that. It was it was like generally asking, "How was the experience? What didn't you like? What did you like?" And it was just great. It was just very well written. And I think I'm having deja vu. I think when I talked about this in a recent episode, but if I think about apparel brands, I won't even name names, but just as hypotheticals, it would be, okay, I get a shirt or a pair of pants and hopefully, whether it's AI possibilities or not, but just that concierge style of, you just got your shirt, how do you like it? Like, we saw you bought this similar shirt a year ago, how do you like this one? Because obviously, they might have changed factories, something might have changed. Like, how to get that product feedback? Because to me, it's like, how to reduce churn ultimately comes back to, do you like the product? Like, do you literally like the product? And I would say, well, actually, you know what? The color is slightly different and the, the arm, you know, is a little bit looser or the, whatever. Like the fit is a little bit looser than the last one. And I, there's so much, I think there's so much potential in that in the next year with SMS and automation. And I agree. And I've got, I've got an anecdote because I've just booked trips to Italy and similar to the MRI story, but on the other side, I'm like looking at hotel reviews and going on Google and what if and People are more incentivized, maybe intrinsically, to write a bad review than a positive review because I think people just need to get just stuff off their chests. Yeah. I think if you had a really bad experience at a restaurant, you're likely to tell your friends about the bad <laughs> experience and the good experience. Like, oh yeah, it was good. Like we saw the Instagram, it was good. But what I'm trying to say is that customers, in my mind, are a lot more compelled to talk about bad news and the good news first. And I think in this concierge SMS style, you can use automations and smart technical automations. If you know where these cliffs exist in your customer base, mm -hmm. you can use Gorgeous to like activate a case with a customer that's at a high churn risk, especially if you're using like an RFM, recency, frequency, monetary sort of scorecard. So if you have customers that are dipping into this like, you know, this amber red zone, you can just create a case and have a bot to say, Brad, how are you? How's everything been? Like keep it broad and then if they have an operator on the other side, you can kind of work through and at least cue them to saying, Was everything okay? And your recent purchase notice you haven't come in a while. Just there's a conversation there. And I think Yeah you're going to find some gems. Like I think tactically, a lot of brands look for these like silver bullets. But in the end, you genuinely just need to chat to a handful of customers yeah. in that amber red zone on that if you look at, again in this RFM style way of thinking. So saying, hey, just what's up? I think there's a lot of merit in that. And I think there's some cool tech and how you can automate it as well. You can do a Clavio like webhook 
You can do Klaviyo automations for people in particular flows. You can really wire it up quite nicely if you think about it. Yeah, I'm sure that there are some folks getting some ideas. All right, last couple minutes here. Let's just do some rapid fire GA4 or, or UA questions. Not that everyone isn't sick of this, but specifically around holidays. So is GA4 ready for peak season? What would be your high-level uh, narrative here looking ahead since this is the first year? That- yeah, I mean, I'm we're entering this world like, you know, unknown as well. But I think one of the items is the real-time reporting is not going to really be there, especially if your campaigns and your emails are going out. Like that real-time reporting is not, there's latency there. So there's yeah. going to be a degree of just not knowing. And you can rely on, you've got other dashboards. Your, your e-commerce platform obviously has the gospel sort of reporting, but that's not going to work. Yeah, That's one thing that I'm telling brands is like, just chill. Like if you go in real time, it's going to look bad. Just relax. It's just don't look at it. Yeah, Maybe they fix it. You know, again, you mentioned as well that they are releasing stuff out very frequently. They've, I think they're hearing a lot of pressure, but I think that's one big one. I think a lot of brands are going to be looking year on year. And I, there's this whole concept of like how, you know, session breakage, if you're comparing to UA data versus GA4 data, your session counts are going to look a little bit different. Or a lot. Yeah, or a lot more. Like I'm trying to play it cool because I hate this like doom and gloom narrative because it's never worked well for the industry. But the reality is that UA had a fundamentally an entirely different sort of measurement model where it basically prioritize sessions as its core reporting metric, whereas GA4 is obviously event user session. And that events are a lot more entertaining if you think about it on that side. So there's a lot of unthinking that we need to do as a general industry. And I think there's a lot of training that we need to give brands to saying, hey, if you're looking back year on year, Google or Meta or Klaviyo or whatever, your session reporting, your channel groupings, it's going to look a little bit weird, but it doesn't necessarily mean you've had less or more bodies access your brand. And it's just, again, I think sometimes I'm always really nervous when you're talking with brands and getting really deep with like the nuances of sessions versus events and users and what's a new user. You kind of have to pinch yourself and just ask, like, is this actually making sense? Like, if I look back at this in two years, am I going to sound like a lunatic? Yeah. And I think that's that's a big one for me because the comparative periods are going to be a bit full on. Yeah. Like, what's the answer? What's the question that you're trying to get an answer to? Yeah. Just looking through our notes here, I think the other big one that I would agree with is getting comfortable at the explorer mode or the report builder. That's I think that's probably another one that people should just get some reps in, just some practice for Q4. A hundred percent. Like considering it's a free tool, and I've used a lot of premium like analytics tools, and considering it's free, that is better than Looker Studio in some regards. Like you can do visualizations that you can't do in Looker Studio, which again is also a free tool, but again, very powerful. That explorer mode is strong, but the problem that brands might find is one, you have to get comfortable with it. We're going to be doing a masterclass on this and giving some people run-throughs on it, but you will get sampling and thresholding if you are um, brands that even smaller or bigger. It's just literally going to limit your data and even blending is going to get a little bit full on. Like You can't really blend in users and session data comfortably too well on it. And I think, yes, you need to know how to use it, but don't freak out if you're getting a little orange amber symbol in the top right that says, hey, thresholding applied. And you're just like, what the fuck is this? Sorry, I swore. But I mean, it's. I think a lot of people are going to be thinking that, especially when they need data quickly. Cool. Like any other just quick tidbits before we uh, we wrap it up? Yeah, my final, my final closing take, and I think you might empathize with this a bit, is that I built the business and my whole knowledge on three keywords in Google Analytics category, action, and label. That was the definition of event tracking for a decade, for me at least. 
Now, you've always known better, knowing that you understand how like an array or a JSON array or an event can work, but you've always been limited by the UA principles. And you forget, like you always worked around it, right? You always abstracted it. But now event tracking is very different in a GA4 setting. And I don't think we fully can appreciate it. But when I would really recommend getting proper event tracking set up, looking at filtering, looking at promo banners, looking at navigations or mega menu interactions, because you can getting the position of links as well. Like, okay, maybe it's not going to be beautiful in reporting it, but GA4 will store it and hold that raw event payload. There will be a moment, whether you do it through BigQuery, you export it out, that you'll be able to visualize it. And I, I'd really get brands to start thinking about event tracking, but unlearning, you're not bounded by category action and label you actually have an entire payload to work with and i really advocate for brands to get thinking at that level because you can do some really cool analysis on the side yeah this is where i owe you 20 bucks for that setup of and this is where go use the elevar chrome extension if you are very new and you aren't super technical and you just want to add click event tracking Yes, exactly. You'll save time with your dev agency. You're not going to get lost in data layer nuances yeah. and you know what's an event push and what's not and what's a trigger. Like That's a big one. And I think Elevar's obviously made life a lot easier for us to sort of just get going with that. But I really, I'm a big believer that these brands need to start capturing now, even though you can't report on it immediately. Yeah, Just capture it because we know the product's getting better. Yeah, the old uh, conversion rate uh, with event tracking. Well, this is awesome. Adam, thank you. Uh, thanks for coming on and sharing just a wide array of, of insights. And Thanks for having me. Where can folks find you, Elephant Room? Uh, yeah, so normal socials, Elephant Room. It's the one with the orange logo, not the black logo. Um, elephantroom.com.au, adam at elephantroom.com.au. Um, you can DM me, whatever you want. I'm happy to chat with whoever and whenever. Awesome. And uh, get those gift notes. Get that gift note for uh, all of us slackers when it comes to getting ready for the holidays. Mention you listen to the Elevar podcast with <laughs> gift note and we can apply some credits. Nice. All right, Adam. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Chat soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. In order to help spread the word and just support the podcast, if you enjoyed this episode, share it on Twitter, share it on LinkedIn, send it to colleagues, or just send me feedback. I love reading feedback. I appreciate it. Many of the guests that have been on here, they've just emailed saying, hey, I'd love to join. Here's some topics. That could be you. Just shoot me an email or hit me up on LinkedIn. My email is brad at getelevar.com. And if you enjoy this podcast and you want to give us a rating, I would appreciate that as well. You can rate us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you are listening to this. But at the end of the day, if you could just share this and let others learn more about the world that you live in, the world that I live in with e-commerce and conversion tracking, I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.